And then just like probably 10 seconds into it, I realized that I'm just peeing <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 112 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the level 9 auto mage. I'm Sam and I'm the nudist. And today is August Doubletooth 2017. Is also the name of an assassin. August <laughs> Double Tooth. Tooth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity. If you're a, if you're a child, uh, you know, get just get out of here. Just get you. Go play with your ball in the corner. <laughs> Go mm-hmm. play with a stick outside. All right, gentlemen. Hmm. This week, we have... There was an eclipse. It was incredible. We eclipsed. So mm-hmm. we took the whole... We rented a, a van... Which metamorphosed into a, a huge SUV mm-hmm. at Enterprise because they gave us an upgrade. Um, quote, upgrade. In quote, well, I guess it and quote unquote gave. So yeah, right. <laughs> it's twenty more dollars. But whatever. So, uh, so the this was a kind of a funny situation. So we originally rented a minivan to take the whole Butterscotch crew. Um, we're going to drive south of St. Louis one hour because that put us sort of straight in the line of what's called the totality of the eclipse, which is where the moon completely blocks the sun and it's. Very crazy. And the more in the middle of it you are, the longer you get to see For like a minute and a half or two? Yeah. So it was, from where we were, it ended up being like two minutes and 25 seconds or something. It was basically around, it was some, somewhere near the maximum amount of time that was available uh, to see it. So so we rented a van, and uh, the goal was just to be able to sort of, you know, get everybody in one car to have it be like this fun road trip sort of experience. But we also brought just, we probably way overdid it in terms of bringing snacks. Mm-hmm. Many uh, snacks. Well, I think we just, we just under ate. What are the two? You know, uh, we had yeah. we had enough snacks. We just <laughs> we just didn't. We only ate like a, a eighth of them. Right. But so, so one thing I think we didn't quite uh, sort of fit into the mental model was how much space all the snacks would take up <laughs> <laughs> versus all the people in the car and how much trunk space we would need. So uh, they showed me the van when I got to to Enterprise for the to rent it, and I was looking at it and I was like, "Man, this is nice." And he's like, "Oh, I have this one over here too." which was this huge, beefy, it's like a luxury SUV. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Some some fancy car. And apparently luxury just means infinite leg room for, for people very specific people. Rest. So this is the funny thing. So so I get it. And and I'm like, so it, it did have basically the same. I think the van had maybe a slightly more trunk space, but not much. And otherwise it was much more roomy in this SUV. And we were anticipating being trapped in traffic for a very long period of time yesterday. So like, we're going to need which space. Happened. Right. So we're like, let's need space. And of course, I didn't go sit in the back seat because... I just figured if it's a luxury SUV, backseat has legroom. But so we go, I bring, bring the car back, get everything packed in, and then everybody piles into their various seats. We come to find that when it's a luxury SUV, really what that means is that the people, the pilots of the vehicle are doing great. They got you know, lots of space, tons of legroom, just all this stuff going on. And it's sort of like a... It's sort of like a it's a trickle down kind yeah, of a first class coach <laughs> and then like cargo cargo hold, hold. <laughs> so so, uh, so so the people in the in the middle of the car had plenty of legroom still you know doing great and then as soon as you get well there back, wasn't even a middle seat in this in this like the passenger row either there was just, just a, a console, giant console. You get, like you get armrest gets cup holders mm-hmm. and then as soon as you get to the back seat it's like steerage so they're sort of slammed up yeah. against it and they're the trunk space was sort of infringing on their personal bubbles. And they've got just, headrests in the middle of their back <laughs> for some <laughs> reason. Yeah, and the thing was, and the seat was really hard. Like, I mean, if it was 
concrete with a blanket on it, that would have felt probably exactly It was dead. more like a like an artist's rendition of a seat, more so <laughs> yeah. than a real seat. So, so we traveled <laughs> we traveled to go see the eclipse uh yesterday. I think there is a good metaphor there though about like, you know, luxury and wealth and and you know, and kind of the selfishness of and like the non-observance of the lower, the lower kind of case. Yeah. You Throw know, the and, plebes in the back seat yeah. on the concrete, <laughs> on the concrete chairs with no leg room. Yeah. So, so I, well, I think you know part of part of feeling luxurious is certainly putting other people in a lower class spot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think that's. I felt I felt like a king yesterday. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what they're selling. Actually, uh, is that sort of that sort of uh, visible difference between you and the other people. Yeah. And actually, in the in the middle seat, there was so much room that I I kind of had to shout in order for the people in the front and the back to to hear me. So. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I suffered because mm-hmm. my voice got hoarse. By we had the a time. full, you yeah. know, king sort of merchant class and peasant class all slammed in one car. Yeah. <laughs> so it was great. Um, but yeah, so basically Adam and Andy and Schur's butts fell asleep mm-hmm. uh, or off. I think there some butts were lost. On well, the they fell asleep first. Butts. And the problem there is that you can then no, not tell if they've fallen off or not. Right. You just so, kind of lose your butt. Yeah. So, but we went and saw the, the totality and that was one of the craziest things I think that any of us have probably ever seen. So uh, basically what happens is, I mean, during the eclipse, it's kind of like, it's kind of whatever, because you can't actually tell an eclipse is happening. Because you can't look at it or you go blind. You can look at it or you go blind. You actually, if you look at it just with your eyes, even if you were able to look, you wouldn't be able to see what was happening. Even actually. even with 1% so of the sunlight coming through. Yeah, it looks like a daytime you're situation. You're still blinded. And so but basically what happened was, so we would look up at it for like an hour and a half and you just started to kind of see. With eclipse glasses right, right, right. on. With our glasses on. <laughs> you'd see just sort of the moon kind of getting in the way. Mm-hmm. But it was still very bright. Kind of whatever. But yeah, but it was also, hot. Felt like, felt like broad daylight. But also all you're seeing is just a you know light in the shape of a crescent. Exactly. Like, I mean, who gives a fuck? So who cares? Still incredibly blinding. But then, so the, but the crazy part is when the totality actually happens, then the whole thing, the nature of the whole thing just shifts. And I don't know if it happened to you guys, but like, so the, the moon goes in front of the sun completely. And as soon as that happens, then the whole world gets dark. It's like nighttime. It's like well, nighttime. It's like a, it's not like pure night because it's, it's like a dusk. It's like right like after sunset. Because yeah. if you look on all the horizons, you can see it looks like a sunset because it's still light miles and miles right. and miles away because you're just like in this little area. Right. But so everybody took off their glasses in this area we were in and, and you're just staring up at this. It's just a pitch black hole. That looks like in the sky with white, with white light shooting out of it. it. One of the most horrifying things. <laughs> like there was this, I don't know if it happened to you guys, but a brief moment of just deep panic where you're like, what is happening? This is not correct. And you could hear me and everybody, we went to a park to go watch it. Um, uh, Missouri State Park, and uh, everybody started screaming immediately. Of course, there's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it sort of it, it talks right to your animal brain. It really does. Yeah. It was freaky. I can totally understand how. So, but on uh, on Friday or on Thursday, uh, Andy gave us a presentation about the eclipse, and because he did a bunch of research on it, and and he was sort of the the big push behind us doing this this trip to go see it, and he was talking about how in not even ancient times, but even like you know in the 1700s and stuff like that recently, yeah, yeah, where you know we knew we people were able to predict eclipses, you know, astronomers were. but still, for common people who don't understand anything about that stuff, they would have this sort of unbelievable panic and terror and like people would start looting and there's just all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And so a big part of being an astronomer at that time was being able to inform the royalty that, hey, this there's going to be this eclipse. It's a totally normal thing. 
It's fine. Nothing to worry about. It's just the moon going in front of the sun, right? Uh, and so that way the royalty could then sort of spread word to everybody saying, hey, there's this event going to be happening. Don't, Don't panic and it. kill everybody. Right. Right? <laughs> um, and there were occasions where the astronomers would miscalculate. Yeah. And they would. And then or the, they, one, the uh, one that Andy told us about was uh, in the one of the Chinese dynasties was uh, some Chinese astronomers did predict it. But then got drunk afterwards because they were, you know, they were like celebrating the night before the eclipse was going to happen um, and forgot to start the ceremony in the morning to like let everybody know that this is happening today. And so everyone lost their minds and then they got beheaded because, yeah. of, their, <laughs> because of their error. Whoops. Whoopsies. So things used to be of more consequence back then. Yeah, I for guess. sure. But yeah, it was a, it was a really cool event. So and I know there's pictures flying all over the place, but I think it was it was very true that actually being there and seeing that sudden everything's fine. And then suddenly there's just a black hole in the sky was uh, very different than just looking at it in a, any sort of pictured sense, I think. So there's another one in seven years that actually comes by St. Louis again, goes to Carbondale, Illinois, which would be about an hour east of here, um, which I think we're definitely going to go do. We made a little time capsule with a bunch of sort of goals and stuff for the studio and we'll crack that open. Andy made it out of PVC pipe. So it looks like a, like a, like a pipe bomb actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just have butterscotch shenanigans sticker logo yeah, on it. So, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of felt bad because I talked to Adam afterwards, and Adam was like, "I don't know if that was worth it." And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, I can't remember what it looked like." Yeah, I, have, just, I have no memory of it happening. Now. Adam has no visual memory, so yeah, because it's particularly important because it's a short event, and most most of the whole event is you just not really giving a shit because you're just looking again, you're Wait. looking at a crescent light yeah. through a thing that only allows you to see just a crescent, which you can you can just manufacture that out of anything, just you know looking around right uh, so actually to me the coolest part of the of the whole thing was just like the sensation of it getting dark that was weird and in then, the middle of the day yeah and and i i have a sort of a vague recollection of that sort of i don't know just general vibe vibe and impact <laughs> you know uh but then but I, I don't i can't like picture in my brain any of the mm. stuff that actually happened or like what the, the way that the sun looked like or any of that so then afterwards i was just like no nah, i'm just kind of like it was cool, but it was also really hot. It, it was, was very hot. We know? just, yeah, we just sw- sweated from like 10 a.m. to 2 oh p.m. God. I'm pretty sure we're all dehydrated. We all get in the car to head home, and everybody drank a, probably a liter of water before a three-hour car ride to get home, and nobody I was sweating. Peed. Yeah, I was sweating so much <laughs> that I drank three liters of water during the whole trip, and I didn't have to pee at all. Even <laughs> when I got back out. home, I was just, yeah, just, I'm just losing water. That's <laughs> yeah, very dangerous. So that was gross. Uh, hey, speaking of... Speaking of peeing. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Sam had an incident that oh, we need to, God. <laughs> to talk All right. About. So I'm just going to preface this. So I, I do occasionally share stories about, you know, incidents, terrible things that have happened to me. I, you know, I try to do it as sort of a, uh, you know, a fable. So you take a lesson from it. Take a lesson. Apply it to your own life. Don't make mistakes that I did. Don't, don't follow the follies of Sam. So I'm going to, I'm going to open up here and be a little vulnerable about what happened to me a couple days ago. So I've been, one of my habits I've been trying to break is, is that sort of uh, really frustrating habit that I think probably a lot of us have, which is when you go to the bathroom, you take your phone with you, right? And yep. then this will elongate a journey to the bathroom from what should be probably two minutes to like 30, your legs are numb, you stumble off and then you like fall down the stairs and break something. So mm-hmm. I've been trying to get away from that and then also just kind of get away from the phone in general, but, and I've been doing pretty good. But then on, uh, on Saturday afternoon, I, I was waiting for an email back from my oncologist about an upcoming uh, trip that I'm going on. And so as I'm walking between rooms, I was like, let me just check this real quick. And with the, of course, thought being, it's not going to be here, but I'm just going to look at my phone because, you know, that's how people do. And 
pop it open. And of course, there is actually an email in there. Now I'm en route to the bathroom right now. So, you know, the decision's been made as to whether I'm going to be on my phone. Like I have my phone. I mean, you got to read that email right, right now. now. Like there's no possible way mm-hmm. that you could have waited That's until right. afterwards. So I walk into the bathroom and I'm just reading, you know, take off, take off the pants, sit down, start <laughs> doing the business and uh, just keep on reading this email. And then, and then just like probably 10 seconds into it, I realized that I'm just peeing <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> okay. So this happened two days. I'm a, I'm a 27 year old man. Just peed all over the And I don't know how the physics was even working for this. Cause like mm-hmm. I was just sitting there. So I don't know if I'd, because again, probably cause I wasn't paying attention if I had like perched sort of like on the edge of the seat. I don't know what, I don't know what's happening, but you I just, really, just oriented just so. Right. And so, you know, I, this is probably, there's a focusing problem. I'm just reading the attentional blindness. Right? I'm just reading this email while peeing out. Yeah, it's a it's a fable about multitasking. You yeah, know, and the so, dangers of if you if you try to do two things at once, everything's just going to get covered. Yeah, you in can't pee. even pee and read at the same time. Yeah, you can't. Even, well, is, there's that there's that old thing about you know walking and chewing bubble gum. Yeah, you can't pee and read. Also, don't yeah. even don't try it. Don't, don't risk try it. it. I risk Doesn't matter it how Saturday. easy and natural it seems. Can't do. Man, it. one time of that, and you're just like, "What is wrong with me? What? <laughs> why am I like this? <laughs> What's my issue?" So you know, I uh, take just try to take the lesson, take it to heart. You know, <laughs> don't be like me. Nope. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's yeah. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> no, we don't need to. We don't need to belabor the point. <laughs> I uh, hope you learned something, Sam. I certainly did. God, I hope no one else pees on the floor. Get out yeah. of here. And speaking of accomplishments, uh, <laughs> we we had a big benchmark last week. Uh, Crashlands surpassed the 500,000 unit sales mark. You know, I never thought I'd see a graceful segue from peeing on the floor to a sales milestone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we did it. Uh, yeah, we crossed the 500,000 units mark. A lot of those were thanks to various bundles and things mm-hmm. where we, we managed to to offload a lot of units for Cheap. like 80 cents a piece. Yeah. So that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cheating, I guess. But we they did, weren't given away for free, though. So. We did cheat, uh, but we did make it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, we still have, I mean, so 47% of our units came from uh, iTunes in total. Yeah. Um, and I think it's 37, maybe, or something like that, came from Google Play, and then the rest from Steam. So, uh, and then revenue-wise, it kind of breaks down. Steam actually ends up taking quite a bit of the revenue pie versus what the total units were, of course, because it's uh, more expensive on that platform. But in order to celebrate, we also did drop, we both dropped the price on Steam from $15 to $10. Permanently. Forever. <laughs> so we'll see, yep. we'll see what that does. Um, and then we uh, we put it on sale on mobile as well, which has been going really well. So so the game's out there. Um, of course, if you have friends who haven't actually played it yet, um, now's the time to get in on that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. And it's still awesome. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have two more news items before we get to questions. One is someone sent us five pounds of Coca-Cola flavored gummies. Yeah. Who was it? I they didn't have a note. Just, there was no note in there. <laughs> no. no, there was a note. There it was, was like a, a note. It was like a receipt thing, but it didn't. It didn't say or like a little gift note, oh, but it, it didn't signed. say a name. So we have no. Oh, idea. And it was straight from Amazon. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Somebody shipped so no Coca Cola gummies. Very suspicious. First of all. <laughs> so naturally, we ate them. Yeah, but we also googled <laughs> it first because we we've all heard. I mean, we live on the internet, so we've seen that those all those reviews of that one particular brand of gummy that like the sugar free gummies that are on Amazon that apparently just they're it's like a bowel cleansing device mm-hmm. more so than anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so we initially got this bag and we sent a picture back to uh, back to Seth I think actually yeah. here and Seth's like oh god like don't eat those yet I need to Google this we gotta, we gotta double check 
<laughs> but really, I think it's the that the sugar-free gummies. They it's because of the sugar-free right. whatever the uh, sweetener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which in general sweetener, if you have it in large quantities, just it's a laxative. It's, it's just a turbo cleanse. <laughs> it will liquefy your insides. So thanks to whoever sent us those, and they are they are not the laxative ones. Thankfully, so we did get to enjoy them. Thankfully or not, I mean, I don't know. Depends. I you know. could use a good cleanse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, could have been good either way. <laughs> so thanks a bunch for sending those to us. Whoever it was, did we yeah. eat them all? No way. There's five pounds. There's, I, don't I don't know where, where they, they went. Right. Yeah, I don't know where they are they, right now. We ate a bunch of them. Mm, they might. We might did have we eaten eat them all. all. That'd be incredible. Yeah, so damn. if uh, if anybody does want to want to throw some candy our way or whatever, <laughs> especially because we also ate at least two pounds of Cadbury mini eggs last week. We did do this. Yeah, we discovered that you could just order a five-pound container of Cadbury mini eggs off of Amazon. So the so, world will never so be the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, I realized we've been talking a lot about eating candy and measuring it in pounds. But yeah, uh, if anybody does want to send us whatever, uh, this came over to our mailbox, which you can find at mailbox.bscotch.net. Yeah, you can uh, also just send us like a, a note. note. Yeah. You don't have to send us five pounds of candy. The, but the only thing we've I gotten mean, so far is various <laughs> huge candy items, mm-hmm. which it's which good. It's good. But I think you guys are slowly trying to kill us like a little bit here, you know? Kill us with kindness. Diabetes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also have started making a big push for this podcast. Yeah. So let's, we're going to talk about this because I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, we started this podcast like two and a half years ago yeah. as kind of a means of maintaining more consistent contact with our players um, over time. Like, because, you know, as developers, our focus is a lot more on the development side of things. And we've also started picking up steam in terms of having uh, a lot of other developers listen to our podcast. And so it kind of started to hit a point where uh, I think around the launch of crash ends, we were just getting like a hundred listens per episode or something like that. Um, and then after the launch of Crashlands, that bumped up to something like a thousand listens per episode. It was actually 2000 for a while. For a little while. Yeah. Um, and then of course, not everybody's going to stick around as with all things. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of tapered off to about a thousand consistent listens. Um, but we never, we never really did anything to try to optimize the reach or, or sort of the publicity of the podcast. Or even really like decide who the target audience was or, mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah. So we did, we basically did no marketing. We were just like, this is, we think this is important for us to be able to, to reach people. Um, and so we now have a hundred, what is episode 112? So we're 112 right. episodes in. So as of last week, we thought, what if we tried? tried? <laughs> so, um, so some of you may have gotten, uh, there's about 140 people or so who got an email. Uh, and these are people who filled out the podcast survey, uh, which was really important to us to kind of see what the actual value of this was to people mm-hmm. and yeah, what people are interested useful. in. Um, so those people who filled that out, we sent them an email because the first thing we're trying to do here and something you can actually help us with if you're if you're a listener and a fan of the show is to go to iTunes and give us a review. So the way that we're going to do this and we so I, I basically did a ton of research on podcast marketing and all this stuff last week and kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, unless we want to turn this into another job for one of us, which we don't. Um, the best way to move forward is to actually approach this in a lot of the same ways that we've approached our, the way that we market and PR our own games, which largely has to do with sort of building up, building up social proof and then delivering a really concise pitch to a new audience that might be able to pick that up and run with it. So in this case, what we're going to do, the first goal is to hit uh, basically a hundred reviews on iTunes, because the weirdest thing about it is that for podcasts in particular, there are no visible tracking mechanisms for how popular a podcast is. Yeah. Aside from subscriber count. 
or sorry, aside from review count. So in other words, it could be the case, and actually probably it is the case, that there's a lot of podcasts that have, say, thousands and thousands of subscribers, but if those subscribers don't actually rate the podcast on iTunes, it looks like nobody's listening. It looks like no one's listening, and, like, and essentially, you know, it can kind of not, it works against the, the value of the podcast overall, the spread of it. So our first goal is actually to hit uh, 100 reviews. It's arbitrary but it's triple digits, which is why we think maybe that's important to kind of get over that and be seen as something that matters in, in a sense. So we we also optimized a bunch of the imagery and stuff. And I think Adam and I took like a whole day basically last week mm-hmm. to just kind of fix up all this SEO stuff and all these things that we were just doing wrong. We also got the podcast put on all these different directories, including uh, TuneIn. So if you have an Alexa or yep. I think it's like most cars now, like all sorts of Bas- weird stuff. Yeah, most things like like the Google little weird thing that sits Home. in your house and you talk to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the name. Yeah. Uh, Google Gollum. <laughs> the Google weird thing. Uh, it, it, like that thing uses tune in. Alexa uses right. tune in. So this is this is the the radio, you know, internet radio slash podcast app that like every robot uses. Right. So we weren't actually on it. We weren't on yeah, most whoops. things that people pay attention to. So so all that's been remedied. Uh, and then once we get this first initial review uh, sort of push finished, then what we'll do is leverage it. Leverage the fact that we can say, hey, we have, you know, we have this highly rated, well-rated uh, cast on on iTunes and then send that to a few of these different podcasting apps and use them because some of them have featuring that they allow. So if you use a Pocket Cast to listen. Podcast Addict. Podcast Addict, Overcast. Um, those are just a few of them. And so what we'll do is sort of pick pick one at a time and just go through and try to, another again, get another batch of listeners and then do another review push sort of keep this thing going until we can essentially pitch to, you know, iTunes, where apparently 80% of listens basically come from and say, hey, can you put us on like the front page for something and show people that yeah, we Because one thing we also learned as we were, as we were digging through all these different stores, is that if you go over to Apple Podcasts, the podcast app on your iPad or whatever, if they only show you like 12 podcasts there's, at a time. There's a strange amount of white space on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. When you try to look stuff up on there, you're only going to see the top handful of, of things for any given category or section or whatever. Right. Um, and so either you get featured and you're there and you get the exposure or you're at the top and you're fine. But if you're outside of those top 12, then someone has to know exactly what they're looking for. Someone has yeah. to search for exactly your thing. Yeah. So, so if, if you've been listening to this podcast, even for just a couple episodes and you, and you do genuinely enjoy it, then definitely take some time either right after this cast or even just later today to Go to, uh, we provided a bit.ly for it. So if you go to bit.ly slash CWB Apple, so coffee with butterscotch apple. CWB Apple. Sedap, bap. Go to that and, uh, or just find it on, on iTunes and, and give us a review. And the weird thing is that the iTunes store also doesn't aggregate across the world. So we do have a lot of listeners across the world. And so you might see only like five or 10 reviews in Depending your area. Like we're at about, in. yeah, we're at, I think like 38 or so in the U.S., which is sort of where we're trying to get that number up to 100. So uh, definitely go to leave us a review and and we'll see if we can grow this thing a little bit together. Uh, we don't have any plans to actually do ads and stuff on here. And actually, so don't worry about we've that. removed the ads from our YouTube yeah. channel. So don't worry about the idea that if you help us grow it, that we're just going to start shoving ads in your face. <laughs> probably not going to happen. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but. Yeah, well, because we we also realize that the the podcast we are we've come to understand its its real value for for everybody who's listening and also for ourselves, which is that it's it's sort of like a force multiplier, right? So it allows us to take these deep dives into all the things that we're trying to accomplish as a studio and explore them and and talk to our our players and fans about it as well. And so uh, it's just like it's just a cool thing that we get to we get to dive into every week. Um, so having ads in it doesn't really whatever it it's not the podcast doesn't exist to, to make money. 
So Correct. It's, it has a whole bunch of other purposes. Um, yep. So that's, that's what we're doing. So we'll kind of report uh, probably next week and talk mm-hmm. about how it's going. Hopefully we just get those hundred reviews and then we're just yeah. we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so let's get on to some questions. And these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. And uh, if you want to get your question on future podcast, hop on over there and ask us a question. First question comes from Matrone. Hey, yo, guys. I'm currently working on a space survival game and would love to have Flux as a cameo character. Mm. Would you be okay with that? Any terms and conditions? Can you or can you not? That is the question. <laughs> uh, we can. We can also not. It depends. So I think we, we've we done this actually, what, twice now? Twice. Twice. So a game called Cards and Castles. Flux is a hero in that game as well. So it's a card game. And then a game called uh, Ludi Dungeon, where Flux is a hero in that one as well. There's special moves and stuff. So uh, anything like this, and this is just a general interesting point about licensing, is reaching out to to the dev to just ask kind of if they would be willing to include it, what the licensing agreement might look like, um, and then what sort of stipulations come attached to that uh, is just sort of the way to go. So I say just send us a contact note mm-hmm. and we'll sort of work. We can work through the details on, on the down low because we, we can't say blanketly what the answer is. Yeah, because it really just, it depends on the execution and the implementation, mm-hmm. right? So, because um, one one important note is if we if we have one of our characters appear in somebody else's game, then one of our criteria is we want to be able to review that and review all the, like the dialogue that the character might say and the kinds of things mm-hmm. that they might do because um, the last thing we want is to have a character that we've been sort of cultivating it, you know, that character's persona and appearance and everything like that and then have somebody else just make it do all kinds of crass or horrible things uh, (laughs) that we, that makes us look bad, right? So not that you would do that. (laughs) Um, This is just, you know, in general, other, everybody else would, would do that. Of course. Mm -hmm. So that's what the policy is there for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So in general for us and and what you should expect for also most mm -hmm. uh, other people who are making their IP is if you want to, if you want to use it, even just sort of, you know, for fun, um, for a thing that you're making that you might not even be selling, you still should, you still actually need to reach out and ask for a explicit license agreement. And that license agreement might just say, yeah, feel free to use it for your game. That's cool. That might be the end of the agreement. Uh, But depending on who it is and what exactly the thing is that you're making, it might have additional terms, like how long it can be used, what happens if it becomes commercial and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. We're pretty open about it. So just ask. Yeah. Uh, uh, privately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go to contacts, go to contact.bscotch.net and fill out the data form there. Yeah. Uh, next question also comes from Matron. Mm. Game Maker iOS export looks a lot less straightforward than Android yes. with a heavy upfront setup and registration process. Yes. Do you guys care to share some tips if there are any? Did you guys actually have to buy a Mac? Yep. As the yes, Yo-Yo Games help page requires? Mm-hmm. That was one of the weirdest realizations we had because it was, I think, the first what, month and a half when we were making Tal Fight 2. I think this was when we were making Gerblins. Was it Gerblins when we did it? Yeah, we had we had that Mac like around the time that we founded the studio. Oh, the, the Mac Minis? The Mac, Back when they had those yeah, things? Yeah, because we... The Mac cost, that was a third of our entire capital. We, we, each, yeah. we each put $500 in the bank to start the company. We had a bunch of like old monitors and keyboards and like shitty computer parts lying around. And so our options were get a low-end Mac for $1,500, mm-hmm. which was our entire bank account, uh, or get a Mac Mini which had the same specs as a bad Mac laptop, but just no monitor mm-hmm. for $500. Um, and then just slap all our old shitty computer parts onto yeah. the Mac mini. So that's what we did uh, in order to do our first round of everything. Yeah. Actually, we had that Mac mini even up through Crashlands. Yeah, we used it for Crashlands. And actually during the launch week of Crashlands, once we saw that the game was actually doing well, we're like, oh, thank God. So the first thing we did was we, <laughs> drove, we, over, we drove over to the yeah. Apple store and got two 
uh, high powered Mac laptops oh, yeah, because yeah. the builds to make builds for Crashlands on that Mac Mini it was like a twenty five minute compile process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's what a like, nightmare! It's like a minute now. It's like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So also uh, there was that there was that Wi Fi problem where it would also like just kick it would just kick off the network because it, would it the required Wi-Fi. a network connection. Yep. So basically, what happens is you have to you you have to use GameMaker to talk through the network to the Apple device to make it build the game for via you. Xcode via, via Xcode, code, which is why this is completely so not game maker yeah. game maker. And this all does make sense. And this is not game makers fault. Right? No. Yeah. Right. This, this, this is, is just, this how is how, it how works. like, I believe this is how it works in unity as well. I mean, like, it, like you can't, mess, you can't make a Mac build, not uh, on a Mac, not on a Mac. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but the same, it's the same deal with Linux too, right? If you want to make a Linux build, you have yeah. to also pipe it to a Linux machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we did instead for that is we got a virtual Linux machine mm-hmm. to boot. Yeah, it, just, it just is easier with Linux because you can just put Linux on Windows. Yeah. On, right. on the same machine. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, what do you got? Any pro tips for handling that? Well, the, the pro tip, I mean, really, it just like as with all with with a lot of things, uh, having a having better equipment is mm-hmm. is ideal. By having the Mac Mini, we had the problem of it's a it's a tower quote like it's a tiny tower, but mm-hmm. it's a tower, and so anytime we wanted to make Mac builds, we had this stationary computer that we had to like go to to make the builds because we have a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse, and a tower. And so Game Maker didn't have an automatic build pipeline, so we couldn't just like have a server go. running and right. And, right. Go. and so it was even the case that when we were on launch day, we brought the Mac Mini and all the parts over to Sam's mm-hmm. apartment, and we were like pounding out builds at the yep. last minute to fix things. Um, now that we have the laptops, oh my god, so much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just make we can bring it wherever we go. We can make Mac builds wherever we wherever we need to. Um, so that's that's been the best thing. Not not skimping on power, but again, I mean, in our case and in a lot of people's cases, it was we just we didn't have the cash to get. Yeah. Macs are expensive. As well, also, I mean, it's just actually a tremendous amount of trial and error to get it to work in the first place to get the build to happen. Well, the the, the real problem was that it just took so long to build it with the ah. bad processor that it was enough time for the network connection to time out. And so, Whoa. so it would be like, yeah. it, like it was like a 20 minute build and at like minute 15, like all of a sudden the connection drops and then comes back, but that's just enough for it to just screw up the build. Yeah. My bet is that you can't even buy a bad enough Mac today to, to, to replicate that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're, you're, but if you're using correct. an old one, yeah, if you're using an old one though, you, you might Yeah. Cause we got problem. a, we got a bad Mac in 2012, Yeah, which was five years ago. So yeah. it was like a five year old, you know, yeah, right. piece of equipment. So mm-hmm. It's like a decade now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's. It's definitely a pain, but on the you know on the plus side, once you get the uh, once you get everything down, then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So once you get the process ready, so yep. yep, and then you can use something like Process Street or whatever, like we talked about mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, just to make a checklist. There are still there's a, and especially because GameMaker doesn't have any sort of build pipeline stuff in it yet, although it is on the roadmap. So hopefully that mm-hmm. comes out. But because of that, every time you're going to make a build for another platform, which just is a multi-step process that you have to make sure you do every step right. But once you know all those steps and have everything kind of prepared and have them all listed somewhere, then it's not a big deal. Yeah, definitely take some notes because it's a lot. Yeah, you don't have to rethink everything every time. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes from Rampandapus. Is it possible to design a successful and fun multiplayer game that one, doesn't trigger the anger and frustration that leads to toxic behavior, and two, doesn't tend to attract toxic people in the first place? You played Words with Friends? Yes. I've never had trouble with words of spreads. Have you only played with friends? I've played randos. Hmm. 
I did play words with jerks, and <laughs> it was kind of a jerk. That's where they kind of, yeah, they self-select, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, people are like, well, should I play words with friends? Oh, I'm a jerk. Well, I guess I'll play words with jerks. Yeah, well, I think yeah. we actually were talking about this what, yesterday, I think. Um, the problem with emotes, even. So even when uh, when developers restrict restrict your language use to just predefined emotes, people find ways to use them, basically using sarcasm to harass people. Yeah, so on the <laughs> on the podcast, my brother, my brother and me, they talked about how great it would be to have a car, have different types of car horns that express different emotions. So right now we just have the sort of like, I'm angry or get out of my way. Right. But if you had a car horn that said, great job, then you could, you know, like if you see somebody pull off a sweet traffic move, mm-hmm. you could tell them great job, right? Mm-hmm. Except the it would only you know. be used sarcastically, right? Like you drive by an accident, you'd be like, "Great job!" Yeah, <laughs> hip, 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 hip. yeah. So or, like, or somebody cuts you off, you're like, "Great job, right. great job." Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I you can't. You just can't. I do think it, it is totally possible to do. I think it's Does just words with friends that people talk to each other. I believe so. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, I think. I mean, so the the problem basically comes down to the fact that most people, when they're architecting one of these games, are are worried about the game. They're not necessarily worried about architecting the social system that goes around it. And so as a result, because less time, it's kind of like what we talked about with studio stuff. Like we put a ton of energy into architecting the studio culture that we're trying to build here and how everything works. And, and that's what makes it at the end of the day, start actually working really well versus if we didn't do that and we're just really concentrated on say the games or like trying to, trying to pump through a bunch of new production assets or whatever else. Um, it's just the case that because we're not necessarily focusing there that that would slip into some other thing entirely. So I do think it's possible. I think it's just, it's really hard. And I think it's, it's really hard because games as a, as a general like risk vehicle are already extremely risky things and really hard to make just, I mean, just making a multiplayer competitive real-time game as sort of what sounds like the example here is so hard that it's, I mean, if you're like, yes, we want to ask people to uh, game devs to put in the time to necessarily craft their community in a way that can make it be positive. But it's also kind of a hard ask because they need to make. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, it's one of those things like I've, I've seen this argument that people put, I've put up on the internet just about comments and blogs and that kind of stuff too. Right. Which is that, uh, yeah, it's going to take some work to yeah. to do this properly but if you're not doing that but you actually have an ethical responsibility as mm-hmm. a person who's creating a community cuz you you I mean if you make a game with an online community you have created a community you have allowed people to interact with each other using your platform and if you designed it in such a way that toxicity is either just expected or super easy or become sort of the dominant form of, of behavior. And you did that. You did that. Mm. You're the asshole. <laughs> right. um, and uh, there's actually a whole blog post called, it's called, it's just called like, you're the asshole or something. Like that. That's about exactly <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think about this a lot because of doing all the web dev stuff. There's so much of it is just defensive right. programming where the question I always have to ask my brain is, okay, how is somebody going to try to break, try to break this or try to get into the system that I made in an inappropriate way because they're being an asshole, right? Uh, this is a different kind of somebody being an asshole, but it's the same. It's exactly the same problem. And so most of my, uh, or not most, but a very substantial fraction of my development time, uh, and even the things that guide my decisions about what to make and how to make them, what kinds of uh, features we can have, uh, are dependent on my always, always paying attention to what I think people are going to do to try to ruin it. And that means that I don't make design decisions ever with anything I'm doing uh, as if people aren't going to be assholes. Right. Right. And I think this is the problem. If you just design mm. a game and just say, and, and, and never in your mind at any time is that crosses the thought, 
well, people are going to be assholes. How should this impact my design? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and it has, to. cause even if, even if like 3% of people, yeah, it just takes a tiny percent. To then that's, your, that's enough really to just ruin the experience. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but the, you know, this is like, if you look at any, and we talked about this a bit a week or two ago when talking about like world of Warcraft and how they had their, uh, ranking systems or their, their sort of scoreboards for competitive matches, uh, and how many of the metrics that are being used don't actually enhance they aren't actually related to the game mode, the game mode and playing an actually good game. It actually encourages people to play badly and yeah. attack each other. Right. And, and but this is, this obsession with scoreboards, right. like, cause why put a scoreboard up, right? If, if you're the designer, you have to think, what is this scoreboard going to do? Right. How is this going to let somebody be an asshole? That should always be the question you ask. Right. <laughs> Anytime you create something that people can interact with or compete on, right, right. just ask, how is somebody going to be an asshole using this? And then take a step back and think, Maybe I shouldn't. And I mean, scoreboards, I think, are a perfect <laughs> example of this because they don't do anything positive, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Scoreboards create. And even like, a, like think about global scoreboards for things. All these do is create incentives for people to hack it to show off how much of an asshole they are. Right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. And, and then maybe and it can maybe make f- somebody feel like, ooh, I'm the best person. Right. Which that's, <laughs> that's not a good thing for a person to be thinking. Yeah. You know? Well, in a competitive <laughs> team based thing, it's it's weird to think about scoreboard that breaks down people's individual contribution, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the one thing that matters is it, did your team win? Right. So, mm-hmm. and it's largely impossible to, as we talked about, to, to find metrics that make it clear that you are, that you as an individual are, are you know, had some big contribution to the right, team, right. to the team win. Well, um, because it, again, it doesn't really matter if you won. Yeah. And if, and right. if there's, I if mean, there's <laughs> true social interactions that people actually interact with each other and tell each other what to do, then you don't need these scoreboards that are telling you how well a person did, right? Because you're working with people as a team. So if they're fucking up, you're going to know that they fucked up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so yeah, you just, you just don't need those metrics. Or if you do need some metrics, again, identify the ones that matter that people can use to make decisions and that aren't just arbitrary things that people get to. I mean, you, the thing is you can even point them to specific people too. Like you don't necessarily need a, a mm-hmm. team based leaderboard that shows everybody's metrics compared to each other. You could just get so League of legends now has a thing where they rank everybody so after your match they'll basically give you a grade like mm. s plus down to d or something um but i don't i don't think it's the case that nobody else can see your ranking for that that game but of course they still have all the stats available so right. you can infer it right um but i mean that's an interesting way to do it where because a lot of the, the the beauty of a lot of these metrics is that they do actually allow you to improve especially in competitive games yeah. where you can say oh you know i didn't do as well on damage or whatever else this game as i did maybe a previous game but if they're put in the context of a comparison with everybody else now it's a different thing entirely, right? It's right. not just about you sort of achieving mastery and figuring out where your weak points are. Uh, it's an opportunity, like you said, for someone to someone to be an asshole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I, it's hard. I don't know. I think yeah, I think it's part of it is being careful about the kinds of information that you that you throw yes. out there because um, it really does. It also, I mean, even even in player in in PVE or player versus environment things or cooperative things, um, having scoreboards for stuff is it can be detrimental. Um, and in, in games that like MMOs that have uh rating, like large group rating, uh, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have, they'll have damage meters, which is like a, a little overlay on the screen that will show you a breakdown of how much damage everybody in the group is, is doing or how much healing everybody's doing or whatever. And, uh, sometimes that's useful in the sense that like maybe a certain boss needs to have a certain amount of damage applied to it overall or else it, you know. Kills everybody. It like kills everybody. You can't kill fast <laughs> enough or whatever. 
Um, but at the same time, it, it encourages all these bizarre, uh, player behaviors. Uh, so for example, in, in a world of Warcraft, they have, they have a thing called flex rating, which is instead of having like a 10 man raid or a 20 man raid or whatever, you can have any number of people and the difficulty of the raid goes up or down depending on how many hmm. people you have. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what, what started happening then as a result of this is people look at the damage meters and they go, well, this person is dramatically underperforming. So if we kick them out, the raid gets easier and we still keep all of our strong people. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh. And so, so actually, so actually that person has made the raid more difficult by them being there, but they aren't contributing enough right. to account for the, the more difficult right. experience. But of course right. that's by the, met- by the one metric that is visible. Yeah. Right. So, so interestingly, flex rating was created as a mechanism to be more inclusive because they're like, Oh yeah, for, for more casual groups, who can't exactly manage to get 20 people to a raid every time. Right. Now they can bring 16 or whatever. Right. But it actually created an, an exclusive community where only the top performers <laughs> get invited to mm-hmm. these kinds of raids. <laughs> it's one of those weird things. Like it's, and it, you know, you just got to think through the well, some part of it though, is that you can't even know though. Sometimes like you honestly can't. I mean, so for example, take no, but, a, but again, you can, cause like in this case, if you get, if your first question was, wait, how, how could, could somebody be an be asshole? Right. 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 <laughs> then, uh, and yeah, it's, it's not to say you'll always spot it because they, they can be quite tricky. You know? Quite creative in uh, their ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and often you have to spot it after the fact by yeah. assuming that you didn't. I mean, you should always also assume that you didn't think of everything. Right. This is, this is true. I mean, we had this anyway. with our, our random friend finder. Yeah. Except this tool because like if you go into Bscotch ID and you're a new person, we're like, you need to be able to have a community immediately. So there's a random friend finder. So you press the button, you get paired up with literally someone who also said, I would like a random friend. This is not. You both opt in. Yeah, you both opt in. Mm-hmm. And basically, like the very few reports we get from the BSD messaging system, because nobody shares messages on there, the very few reports we get follow the general pattern of uh, the BSD robot connecting to people and says, hey, you've been connected with the BSD. Which again, friend both finder. people opted into and then, saying, I want a random friend. And then mm-hmm. someone just says, fuck you. <laughs> and that's it. And we're like, but but what here's the thing. Happening? Maybe we're the asshole because we don't we don't screen those messages, right? Like mm-hmm. the the person on the yeah. receiving it, the message still goes through to them, right. and they report it to us, mm-hmm. right? So like there are certain scenarios. For example, your first handful of messages after being randomly paired up with somebody through the friend finder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where maybe we should be screening for those guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and we're not because the volume is so low. Right. That the incidence is also the, the incidence low. is very low. Right. Yeah. Uh, but for but that's now a lesson that we've learned so that when it comes to the next design of of the Bscotch ID two system. Right. But I think yeah, that's also one of those things just to sort of point out that you even if you think you foresaw how it was going to be. Oh yeah, there's always something. We're, I didn't. Ass- we're, we're I like, like oh, why people are you? both opting in? Yeah. They both want a friend. It seems. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good win-win situation. <laughs> but, but it's also one of those things that uh, that I think it's also hard to to really be prepared for the depths of confusion that your users are going to face when they use your system. Because you'll make a thing that seems so obvious about what's happening that you think nobody could possibly not understand what just happened. Are you right? talking about how everybody fights with the support robot? Yes, because it's actually <laughs> it's actually a little more interesting than that even. So it's and so it's, it's the same problem. Right? So in this case, if, if somebody just didn't understand actually that, like what it meant to opt into the friend finder, right? If they just clicked that button, they didn't really know what was happening. And then they came back and then saw this message saying, hey, you're now friends, right? But they didn't They've understand that they opted into that right. or they forgot about it. Then now they might feel like they're sort of like their privacy is being invaded in some And then further, way. they have a second message from someone they've never met that just says, fuck you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, th- so, th- so there's a weird, you know... It, 
like we we are assuming sort of you know this crazy hostility and stuff on the part of these people, and, and without a doubt, like you have to be an asshole just to say fuck you to anybody for right, no reason. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but but there's there's another layer before that, which is just people really don't understand what the hell is happening. And so we've mentioned in the past that people get in, the, in fights with our auto responder for our uh, robot email, <laughs> right? So all of our newsletters go out under the same email address. It's just mm-hmm. a an outbox only account. Um, but it is a real email account, so it does technically have an inbox, right? Uh, so, so every once in a while, I have to go in to do something like update the message or something, and I'll just I'll just do a quick scan of all the messages that are at the top of the list. And it is it is the case that it, that about I don't know one out of every probably a couple hundred messages or something um, is somebody getting in this like back and forth fight with the robot, <laughs> being really angry that this robot has emailed them. And then emailing the robot some like nasty message telling it to stop, but it's an automatically replying robot. There's a button in the email that says unsubscribe and they can just. Well, no, and, and the top of the email that comes just says, I'm, I'm a, a robot. robot. This is an automatic reply. Right. Uh, and, and, and usually people only go back and forth for, you know, one to three emails. Right. Um, but I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, but here's, but here's the interesting emails. thing. I know it's, it's, it's complete lunacy, but, <laughs> but the interesting thing, and I hadn't realized this before was that th- we have to use these, uh, these, systems um, in things like Google Play, right? Because we have to provide an email address. Right. Google Play has to allow people to submit reports to us through whatever the hell system they use that does that. Uh, and these are actually really infrequent. So we kind of forget that these things are even happening. Um, but those actually, you know, they they either send those users something sort of on our behalf uh, or they send them something that includes that email address in there, right? So these people either re- reply to it, but often what is happening is they submitted something to Google Play. And then some short time later, they suddenly get an email from our robot, but they don't understand there's a connection between those two things, right? Mm-hmm. And many people get fucking irate when they get emails they don't expect from addresses they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Like completely irate. And because I, I was scrolling through and about one out of every maybe few dozen of the emails in there were just from somebody saying, what is this? like replying to the robot again, the robot says like, oh, this is not a reply, whatever. Uh, but there, there's a tiny number of people hmm. getting emails from the robot and not understanding why. So this is probably why now that I'm thinking about it. Like I, we get a, if you get a lot of the support emails now, so say you submit a bill or you submit a contact request from mm-hmm. somebody, they'll oftentimes when they send you an email back as a confirmation, they include your message in it. Right. And I used to think that was done. I mean, part of it is for the psychological reason that it's sort of like uh, in customer service, it's been shown that if there's a mirror behind the customer service desk, that so the, the person sort of approaching the counter oh, they can see sees themselves. themselves, people are less of an asshole. Interesting. <laughs> so my guess was that this confirmation thing was sort huh. of that, where like if you send this really just like, you know, angry email and then it gets sent back to your inbox. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you're like, oh, Kinda, oops. Well, I, yeah. And I've actually <laughs> I think seen... maybe it's that. Like maybe it's just to reduce confusion overall. Probably, it, yeah. I mean, I don't even know where these emails are coming from in terms of the robot problem. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where those are coming from. It's some, so it's, it's some Google it's Play issue. thing. Okay. Uh, hmm. But yeah, but this is a, I've actually seen this in other, when I've done my own or dealt with my own customer support stuff, you know, outside the studio, trying to get something replaced or whatever. I've noticed a handful of systems recently have started doing a thing where the first message that you send out, when you get the reply back, it actually doesn't, it just, it just says, this is the message you sent. Um, click confirm if you want to actually send this to, to support, right? So sort of giving you a second chance to take a look at the thing that you just wrote, uh, which I think is probably something we should implement. Hmm. Make um, people just, make people think for a moment yeah. about their life well, decisions. But, but again, yeah, it's, it's, it's throwing a mirror at somebody, right? Just right. give an opportunity to say like, oh shit, maybe I should take that down or not, right? right. But I think this is especially, I think this is, could be particularly clever given, you know, people always say, if you're going to write an angry email, 
then just put it away let, let it, it cool off yeah. and then come back and look at it because every single time you do that, you're going to be like, oh, fuck, good thing I didn't send that, right. right? So if we also put a delay on it so that if somebody submits a report, then we just, after like two hours, send it back and it says, hey, we received a report. Um, it's not going to go into the queue until you confirm this. <laughs> uh, so do you want to make any changes? Do you want to make any changes? <laughs> right. so now people have a second chance. Right. Um, cause that'll probably make, give them a better chance not to get off on the wrong foot and be funny, though, get poisoned by what people we should do is keep a log of all the ones that we got before. Oh, yeah, we'll, see, we'll, we'll, we'll log all the things. Yeah. We'll log all the sounds things. Sounds like a GDC talk. Mm, that sounds mm. good. <laughs> there, there's one final thing I have to say about toxic multiplayer stuff, mm. which is there are a handful of words that if people choose to deploy them to strangers on the internet only have one purpose which is to piss someone off, yes. mm -hmm. right? And try to ruin their day. I'm a strong advocate for the idea that if anybody uses one of these words uh, in an online gaming setting, they just get permanently banned from the game. They are an asshole. There's no, they just are an asshole. There's no way around It's that. not, well, I was having a bad day. No, no, you weren't. You're just being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> having a bad day just made it so that you had more trouble keeping the filter on. Yeah, right? Not my problem. Your true colors care. came out. Yeah. Yeah. The colors of... Been, Asshole. <laughs> yeah. That was the next question. All right. Next question, <laughs> uh, next question is from Imcade. Who wins in an arm wrestle? Mm. And who drinks the most caffeine? And what game have you played the most of? So I feel like it's kind of a cheating sort of pack yeah, three. Came out of nowhere. Pack three questions in, uh -huh. you know. Uh, there might be a connection between these. It's hard to say. Hard to spot. Is the person who's the most caffeinated likely to win an arm wrestling match? It's possible. So for starters, who does drink the most caffeine? I don't know. It's kind of an equal. It's pretty even. I do make really potent brew. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the thing, though, is that Seth occasionally gets a Red Bull from the store, but not like the tiny ones. I mean, I even I look at the, <laughs> I look at the small ones and it makes my, my face hurt. Because mm -hmm. I just know what they feel like. But Seth gets the like 24 Red Bull actually ones. is not really, I'm pretty sure it's not much more caffeine than a, than coffee. I don't know what the fuck is in there's it. Other, there's like, other stuff really in it. It really does not feel good on my brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a brief window for like 40 minutes where I'm Well, you got to you got to nurse it. You know, you got to like, you got to really sip it for, for like three mm -hmm. hours. Sure, I don't I don't partake in that, but I do do the five hour energies and stuff. So mm -hmm. there have been some days where on accident, because I forget that I've had a five hour energy, I'll have one. <laughs> And then I'll drink like two pot, two uh, uh, cups of coffee here, which are of course very potent brew. And then I'm just really jazzed for until about three <laughs> p.m. And then five hour energies have a lot of caffeine in them. Yeah, a lot of caffeine. Uh, but I think we're pretty even between all that. Pretty even. Okay. As far as arm wrestling, I'm pretty sure Seth wins. So uh, maybe we should have some kind of like a like a leaderboard or like scoreboard. <laughs> yep. Who can drink the most caffeine? Yep. Someone's um, gonna die because someone's gonna die. <laughs> that is a yeah, drug. Be careful how you design you. stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Seth would win an arm wrestling match. His arms are the size of cannons. That seems likely. So that is what it is. So I've been I've I've been having a problem in the gym lately. What's that? Which is you ran out of weights. Did you? Pee I on ran the floor? out of weight. Uh, <laughs> I've been I've been using. So I've been lifting with the B Scotch crew, uh, which, with the exception of Sam, is mostly people who haven't been lifting extensively, and everybody's now starting to lift, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. But there's a little bit of catch up to do. So uh, if I try to use free weights, I need a spotter. And I, I can pretty much only have Sam spot me. Right. Uh, and so I've switched to using the machines and I don't have any more numbers to. You max them out. 
Yeah. So I can't actually improve, which is good because maybe now everybody can catch up. You know, that's true. We got to so, put a I'm cap on you. I'm stuck. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think you've reached a, like an acceptable plateau. Probably isn't that? Yeah, I was like, what? Well, you know, maybe now is a good maybe time. Maybe this stop. is an optimal stopping yeah. sort of situation where if you run out of weights that could be lifted, you, you'd lifted. Maybe that's you did it. You did, it. you did lifting. <laughs> um, all right. So then the final question is: What game have you played the most of? It's like an ever sort of scenario. Ever probably League of Legends. Yeah, definitely for me. Mm. A lot of that. For me, it would definitely be World of Warcraft. Yeah. In terms of total hours. Yeah. yeah or rather days. Adam, I don't you're, actually. Yours is much uh, more normal. Adam kind of Adam kind of bounces around a lot. Yeah, but and I usually I do kind of binge play sessions with my Terraria wife on probably. certain things. Yeah. So so with my wife, I played that fucked in on Terraria, but it still only adds up to like. 100 hours or something. So when that like new that. Stardew Valley multiplayer comes out, I'm going to disappear for like four days. Are they doing Stardew <laughs> multiplayer? Yeah. Mm. For like end of the year, next year, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take vacation. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> or just take a three day weekend. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good couples game. Mm-hmm. And apparently you can marry them in game. I was like, yes. Sign me up. Perfect. Marry my wife twice. I'd say with the exclusion <laughs> of, of World of Warcraft, because I actually haven't played WoW much since like 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably my most recent slate would be Eve Online as number one, Kerbal Space Program as number two, yeah, and Rocket League as number three. Yeah, I do mm-hmm. have a lot of Kerbal basically Space anything program. related to rockets. I'm kind of I'm all in on. Yeah, I just don't I just don't play video games very much. Funny, I guess. Yeah, you're too busy learning, mm-hmm. learning stuff, mm-hmm. becoming a better person. Mm-hmm. You know all these sort of other hobbies mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was reading about statistics all weekend, which is pretty fun. It's been a while since I sounds like a thrill a minute Adam. statistics. <laughs> but it was funny too because like so like last last night uh, after we got home from the thing mm-hmm. from the eclipse, and I was just fucking exhausted. Yeah, it was really was and, put out. Yeah, my wife was working on some of her stuff, and I sat down and I fired up Steam, and I was like, I was kind of like looking at the list, and I was just like, I'm gonna go read some statistics. So I did that instead. Yeah, nice. Man. Just none of it. I, none of it, none of it I, struck my fancy. This is why. This is why I have a tendency to just play one game real hard as a hobby because I don't like that feeling of going to my giant list of games mm-hmm. and then just being like, oh, like what do I want to? Because there's also there's a starting cost. Like you got to yeah. learn the game and yeah. get good at it and stuff. And so I'm much more inclined to just go real deep on a game for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I like to go real shallow on a bunch of games, but then mostly not play any of them. And then read statistics. And then read statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting video gaming strategy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Next question comes from Skoad. Cool. <laughs> S-K-O-A-D. Those things like a sky toad. Yeah. Skoad yeah. says, do all y'all think that an eventual update can bring a game back from the grave? Or do you think a bad game is bad forever? We've it is interesting. So we actually um, so we had an interview with Games Industry. Uh, there'll be an article probably sometime this week about about Crashlands, about the five hundred thousand units milestone. And one of the questions of the interview asked a really good question. He said um, he asked you know how many updates we put out last year. And as you guys know, I mean from listening to the podcast, so we only managed to put out two big updates to Crashlands. And a lot of the reason was was because we essentially chose over the last year to focus all of our design and development efforts not on the game, but on the studio. And that just necessarily meant that we didn't get to put out as much stuff. And we still have this huge list. We came up actually with more things a couple of days ago, of st- more fun stuff to do. Oh, yeah. And so one of the questions he asked was, do you think that, you know, overall hurt the sales of the game? And my answer is yes, 100%, absolutely. Because featuring comes with updates. 
so they kind of get partnered together. So you can trigger things like visibility rounds. You can you can uh, get iTunes to sort of maybe pay attention again. You can do all the sales. Stuff. You can do sales. All these things that sort of without the news. So you, I mean, you can't do that without anything having had happened. So in yeah, that case, the interesting thing about updates though is is they don't actually help you sell the game like just to, to players, right? There's no like because a player who hasn't played your game before can't understand the value of the thing you updated. Right. It's really um, the featuring that comes with the, the featuring update. that the, cause the store wants to have the newest, fanciest, shiniest right. stuff. Right. And so, so what you're actually doing is like when you make an update, you're making an update for the store. Yeah. Even more so than your players. Yeah. So I mean, there's, there's that, there's that element to understand about it, but I, I do think it's the case that it's not going to be one update. And I think this is probably one thing that I, that when we certainly found this with, with Quadrupus Rampage was the first one. Um, but it's just not the case that you're going to have, if you have a game that's sort of floundering, that there's going to be one update that does it. Because the reality is, I mean, and we we're talking about this just actually in a similar way with the podcast, you need a certain level of social proof with your game before people will necessarily even just buy it if they show up on your page. And so if your game is floundering super hard and you put an update out, maybe you get some more store eyeballs um, until you hit a point where the game just sort of generally has an air of, of credibility to it and quality to it. It's really hard to have that like sort of finally be a self-sustaining little thing that just kind of chugs along the background. So it's probably less, it's not probably not very uh, helpful to think about it as like a single update thing. So much as saying, does this game have the potential for becoming a sort of lifelong product for our studio or for our team? And if so, what, what would be reasonably probably required for that? So in the case of Quadrupus, it took uh, eight weeks of follow on dev in a game that took uh, what, 12 weeks to make. Yeah. We almost doubled our development time in the tail because the game was not making very much money at all. And it wasn't until the, I think the third update we did, which was all the pets, that finally the game was making enough money where we were like, okay, I mean, this is, we don't know what the hell else to do. This is good enough. Like we hit sort of a threshold is good enough. And so I think sitting down and really determining what those markers are for and your that's team. that's also a different thing because that, that, that's the free to play. And in, in the case yeah, of the free to play sure. model, it's now saying like, you haven't actually changed the success of people playing your game. Mm-hmm. You've just changed how easy or likely it is that people playing your game are going to give you money as a consequence, right. which is a different thing than if you, if you've gated access to the game from the pay upfront model, mm-hmm. because now you have to actually prove to people that's worth paying you first and getting the game. Right. And so I think that is a, I think it's much easier to sort of pull some value out of a free to play game, assuming you already have players. Yeah. They're, they're more sort of update friendly, right? Yeah. Continued development friendly. Yep. Um, so I think there's, it's just sort of that game to play, which is, you know, if you're on Steam or you're on Google Play or whatever else, um, all these platforms now allow you to talk directly to your reviewers. So if there's someone who has like a big chunk of, of feedback about the game, when you update the game to integrate their feedback and maybe, you know, like fix the rough edges that they found, you should let them know. Uh, especially if there's if you only have a handful of reviews, you basically need to do everything you can to when you have an update, not just publish the update, but to let everybody know who maybe didn't enjoy the game because of that particular thing so that they can potentially make a revised review. Because yeah. it's if all those got, little pieces. Yeah, if you get like 30 reviews and you right. can turn five of them around with a good update. Then it's incredible, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and a lot of things people don't realize is that early on, especially when you're dealing with smaller numbers on things, nothing you do is a is a scalar act, activity. Like nothing you do is something that on a broad level will have a big impact. You have to do all this, frankly, like very grindy, almost like hustling type of work where you're going and you're fixing very specific problems for very specific people and letting those specific people know things. None of that is scalable in like a easily automated way or like it just, it's just a shitload of work for those first people and for that first sort of bit of success. So I think, you know, making those updates and and really talking to your team and doing some contingency planning about what, what happened to make this not 
successful in the first place and then what you can do to potentially make that happen and then if it's worth it. Yeah, well, well, I mean, always think not. about the opportunity cost because yeah. it's going to be, you're going to be throwing dev time after, you know, chasing, converting something you've done into a success. Mm-hmm. And that dev time could be used to be working on the next project, taking what you learned from that one, incorporating the new thing. But it, of course, also takes a lot more time to make a new game than it does to update an existing one. And so you have to, on the other hand, that also makes it really easy to think, oh, it'll just take a little bit of time to update this, so I should do that. Right. But it's that a trap. Up. Yeah, it's trap. a trap that you can get into. Yeah, and it's also the case that you should always be asking why when it comes to, if you if you make a game and you launch it and it is dead in the water, um, it it might be the game, it might be your marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not just the case that patching a game by itself does anything. Correct. Yeah, and why uh, why would you think that it would? Yeah, because uh, if nobody's playing it and then you patch it, you've patched it for nobody, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and actually, we were we were just looking at the other week. We were looking at Brigador, yeah, which is an interesting case study. It's is made by uh by uh, this buddy of ours who we've seen at like every convention mm-hmm. we've gone to, and it's they, like their a, talks on the GDC vault, I believe. Too. Yeah, so, so at GDC they talked about the how, failed how badly their game did, yeah. um, and then just by chance we were we were cruising around Steam Spy and we noticed that what was it a, few, a couple months ago or mm-hmm. something back they, in July I think just enormous spike just the the number of players just blasted into they the went from like thirty thousand to one hundred and eighty thousand in a in two or three days yeah um, and so and and this was actually it seems what we've, what we've been able to gather is this is due to to various marketing opportunities and efforts mm-hmm. that they went through and getting into uh, the humble monthly and doing so they, they basically they sort of relaunch they basically pulled yeah. out all the stops and they a did, huge update they launched at the same time yeah mm-hmm. so they yeah. did so many things at once to try to resurrect the game that it was almost like an entirely new game and like an entirely the new launch they were like boof yeah, yeah right. I mean yeah and that was so a big move but again like had they just made that patch and just did that only. Mm-hmm. It probably, probably would have done nothing, nothing right? Yeah. But so, here they got, they had a bunch of news press. They had like PC Gamer and a few other things covered it. Um, they went into the Humble Monthly. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they, they paired the timing with the Humble Monthly so that at the same time they're getting this huge boost in new people, they'd also put out this big update so that there are just people were talking about it all over the yep. place. So now there's social proof on Steam. You mm-hmm. see all of a sudden there's, you know, thousands and thousands of, of simultaneous players playing the game right mm-hmm. now. So you must think, oh yeah, I'll give it a try, right? Um, and so all these things kind of compound and work together to create this perfect storm of resuscitation. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So it is totally possible, but you you can't just put all your eggs in yeah. one basket. It's, I mean, it's, it's always just it's really hard as a dev to make that call too, yeah. because there's no right answer. There's no right answer, and you and you actually just never know. I mean, you look at a game, you look at a game like Terraria, for example, that with continuous dev, which is what they've been doing now for. I don't even know how long games went out. Not Five years while. or something? Yeah, long at least. Time. Maybe. Um, that shit. But with continuous dev on that, they've, you know, they've continued and continued and continued to to grow that game to the point where it's mm-hmm. just like, it's just a, it's a monster. It's a monster at this point. Well, and, and interestingly, that also entrenches the game in terms of its, uh, its where it occupies uh, in the market, like yeah. the competitive space that it's in. Because if somebody else makes a, a game that is like Terraria, they can't compete. On the yeah, level of got, content. Exactly. There's just five years yeah. worth of one game. <laughs> yep. You're yeah, five so, years behind. And this was a call we made with with Crashlands. We were like, we, you know, there's stuff like multiplayer, which we've talked about before, how it would require basically a whole another year of dev, if not more, of rebuilding the damn game in order to make it go. Um, and we just decided that because we don't know what the heck would happen, we'll just take all the crazy stuff we learned from this launch, which was a ton, and this dev and just move forward. And that's an uncomfortable decision to make because you just don't know what the other future could be. Yeah, which which isn't to say that that Crashlands won't be receiving updates 
It's that that's not where that's not where all of our attention is. So yeah, the, and those will be focused on different kinds of purposes. Yeah. Right? So they will be smaller. They will be sort of more spread out. Um, but yeah. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's all the time we have. And uh, we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together and our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the Scotch dev team, Andy Tifa and Sure, for continuing to build stuff. Uh, special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord up and running. And of course, uh, we'd like to thank our listeners for coming back every week to check us out. Also, if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, hop into our Discord server, which is at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. Come say hi. We're in there. We're just hanging out. Uh, we might uh, say hi back. We're pretty busy, so we don't see every message, but, you know, we pop in there from time to time. And also, as we mentioned earlier, we have a Scotch mailbox. So if you'd like to send us five pounds of candy, uh, you can do that at mailbox.bscotch.net. Or just a nice note. We also mm-hmm. accept notes uh, that are attached <laughs> to five pounds of candy. So, <laughs> you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to do. Attached uh, to five pounds of candy. If you want to also send us five more pounds of candy next to the first five pounds, we will, also, tape it together. we will also accept that. <laughs> uh, also, we we do depend on uh, on these reviews to get new listens, as, as Sam was talking about, and we're in the middle of a big review push to try to get 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so if you have an account, uh, if you have an Apple account, if you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts or whatever, uh, help, us, help us out by going over to bit.ly slash CWB Apple. And, and give bonus a, points for making them hilarious. Yeah, we will do a reading of some of them uh, in the future. So oh, yes, but only, but only on. if they're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. so you know, no, so, no pressure though. So, and of course, thank you all in advance for uh, for taking the time to do that. It really does help us out a lot, and it means a lot. So, uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.